Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am your host, Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. I am so genuinely thrilled today to be talking to one of my all-time favorite people in, in baseball and in general, Kiana Sinks, who does the digital marketing for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, who I've had the honor of meeting in person once. We've worked over Zoom a number of times on, on various things. But first of all, Kiana, just thank you so much, because I know how incredibly busy you are with everything you have going on in the, in the museum. Thank you so much for agreeing to, to come talk to me. Thanks for having me, Paul. This podcast in general is about branding, right? Like this podcast is about logos and nicknames and what they mean mostly for teams. You handle the, the, the marketing, the building of the brand online for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And that's an incredible challenge. And you've handled it so deftly. And it's been an amazing thing to watch for the last couple of years. I wanted to just, I wanted to start though, by, by talking about some of the partnerships that you guys have developed, because I know that you're just coming off an incredibly busy month of February, where the Kansas City Royals, I, I don't know, I don't know how you guys made this happen. So I'd love to know, the Kansas City Royals paid the admission of every person who turned the turnstiles at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Can, so before we start talking about the brand that the museum itself has, can you talk about how that partnership came about? Yeah, well, we were very fortunate to have our uh, friends at the Kansas City Royals uh, be very generous uh, and decided to um, pay for all of the admission for the month of February in honor of Black History Month. And a lot of that goes to many people in the front office of the Kansas City Royals, but primarily two people. Uh, number one, my friend Angel McGee, and then number two, obviously, uh, the Royals Charities Foundation. And then last but certainly not least, Mr. John Sherman, uh, the owner of the Kansas City Royals. And I think what it speaks to is the importance that the Royals see and they understand the investment that they continue to make um, with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and how our city, I think it was a huge reminder of just, you know, this is a national institution that is beloved by so many, but yet, you know, locally, um, you know, it's, it's oftentimes nice to have a reminder and so we've seen probably after this past weekend, close to 8,000 people locally here in Kansas City that have turned to stat turnstiles here at the museum. Um, and so we, you know, obviously it's, it's unprecedented in many ways. And none of our corporate partners have ever done that for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so the fact that they took it upon themselves to make this generous offer um, it really is heartfelt, not only by myself, um, but obviously our president, Bob, and our entire staff. It's been a very, very, very busy <laughs> 28 <laughs> days of February, um, but we were happy to pivot as a staff to accommodate the Royals and the offer uh, to meet people where they were. And because of that, uh, close to 8,000 people got to experience the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. That's, it was just so incredible to see, right? Like it's, I mean... What a, what a great gesture and to recognize the importance of the story that you all tell at the museum. And I saw that you, you posted on Twitter at the time of this recording, you know, February just wrapped up. It's, you know, it's early March now. This will drop in March 15. But you, you, you tweeted just this morning, I think, okay, Major League Baseball, who's next? You know, which team is next? Because you could see, uh, you know, you could see another team just because February was Black History Month and the Royals have a relationship with the, the museum being in the same city there, you could see any Major League Baseball team recognizing the importance of the story that you tell and wanting to do something similar for the museum. So, you know, I, I'd love to see my Phillies step up and do that maybe for April or, you know, maybe maybe the Dodgers could do it in, in May, that, you know, that sort of thing. It seems like there are opportunities there and you you know, you very rightly and very often say that Black history shouldn't just be in February, right? Let's let's get this going all year long with different Major League Baseball teams. Yeah, and I think it's so important. I mean, the story that we preserve here at the museum, you know, for us, February is an extended 365 days a year. I mean, we're constantly, you know, faced with the fact that the Negro Leagues is America's pastime. You know, some of the greatest athletes that when they weren't afforded the opportunity to play in the majors, uh, you know, here we are 
making sure that story is continually told to future generations. And I think uh, what a what a symbolic way to uh, now have Major League Baseball foot the bill for the Digger Leagues Baseball Museum. Hey. I think it'll be incredible uh, to have a team take turns, pick your month, sign up, and uh, we'll be sending invoices. So if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, right? Like, so, so the story that you tell, uh, you know, it's, the, I've been to the museum three times. I feel very lucky to have been to the museum three times. Every baseball fan should get to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It's an incredible place. You know, that neighborhood is a, is a historic area. And so it's an incredible place. But the the story that you tell at the museum is so important because my first time there as a white baseball fan, right? The The story I anticipated was everything was was sad and terrible and right up until Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and then that opened up the door to things being a lot better and that's not at all the story that's told there right like it was it's very important for baseball fans and for for people in America to understand that the story the museum tells is a civil rights story mm-hmm. and that the the main story of the museum is from the 20s to the, you know, or even before the 20s, but primarily from the the 20s up until Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, the story is of successful Black-owned businesses being integral parts of their community and showcasing these incredible athletes who had to endure these hardships to showcase their, their abilities. And it was really important for me as a baseball fan to get there and understand that the Negro Leagues are a success story. And the the athletes who were showcased in in these leagues, they're the ones who you're highlighting. And the sort of the post Jackie Robinson era is part of the story for sure, but it's kind of an afterthought. So first of all, can you tell in, in your words, what is the story that that you're telling at the museum? Well, it's so much. And I feel like now since December 5th, I'm kind of reliving three decades of our institution, right? Because number one, you start to think about when Bob Kendrick asked Buck, what motivated you to start a Negro Leagues baseball museum? You know, it wasn't the Negro Leagues Hall of Fame. He very much deserved that if a player was good enough, that he should hang in the hollow halls of Cooperstown. Uh, But our museum was dedicated to be just that, a museum. Um, So we could capture and really showcase and preserve the rich history of the Negro Leagues. And I think for me, Paul, as I kind of, you know, I'm very fortunate to see the inner workings and understand a lot of our day to day and the history, you start to understand right away when you just alluded to the economic impact that Black baseball had on America and every every other day, if I'm fortunate, I, I get downstairs and I catch a tour with Bob. And I'm always I'm always fascinated when we, as you know, in the museum, we have what we call our lifestyle exhibits. And we have a section for the street hotel. And that is a very important part of the museum because we want to showcase and display the economic impact that the Negro Leagues had on economies. And you already know this, but we preference our preference always by saying wherever you have successful black baseball, you have successful black thriving economies, because that is what the Negro Leagues did. You they had to create or they they the the communities that they served primarily rose to meet that need during a time where black people weren't afforded the opportunity to do else elsewhere, right? And so I think it just speaks to to your point about how the Negro Leagues is this this driving force in America that ultimately created change in so many ways outside of the sport. And when you look at that, it's like wow, like here, right, right here in Kansas City, Satchel Page and Buck O'Neill were not just great on the field; they were great off the field. They were leaders in our communities, and we saw them every single day and they were servants and they just so happened to be great baseball players. And so when you think about that, you know, it's everything that we would hope, you know, people strive to be today. I mean, and then you look at the modern day athlete and what do they pride themselves on? Community service, giving back, paying it forward. And so I just think a lot of these, these, these things that are so, you know, when we talk about cultural etiquette and, and diversity and inclusion and all these 
different facets of the story of the Negro Leagues, it's, it's all inside of our museum. And we package that, as you know, and telling it in a way that you not also experience the timeline of Black baseball and its impact on America, but also simultaneously what was happening in our country. I mean, it, which is crazy as well, because you start to see how baseball literally changed, uh, changed the country. Um, when, when we were literally not giving much in terms of white and black people side by side, you know, it was literally segregated. And yet here we are, 1947, Jackie breaks the color barrier, and it starts this entitled, entire wave of literally social progress in our country. Um, and so it's just really fascinating. And every single day, I continue to learn more and more and more about how I think now, you know, people my age, no offense, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm 20, I'm 26 years old. And, you know, I get a little impatient sometimes, you know, pulling up to Starbucks. It's like, oh man, my stuff's not ready. Meanwhile, it's like, you're, <laughs> you're bitching about a Starbucks when Satchel Pace sat at the back of the bus and had his peanut butter and crackers. So you're, so for me, it's, 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 it's something that doesn't, it's not lost on me that these, these, in, these women and men yet overcame so much and still yet are never knew they were making history because they didn't care, but they've made life better for people who look like me to be able to stand the test of time and to now learn from that and to share the greater story. And that's just so happens to be the Negro Leagues. It could have been anything. Well, and so you and I have, like I said, I've, I've been lucky to, to get to know you over the last few years. And, you know, we've worked together on a couple of different things, like, you know, through my day job and our baseball Palooza trip came through Kansas City. I can tell you this, our baseball Palooza road trip that I take with, with college buddies, we intentionally planned that to go through Kansas City so that we could get to the Negro Leagues Museum. Like, so that was the entirety of, you know, the four baseball games that we saw <laughs> that was you know we we orchestrated that such that we could get to the museum and we were very lucky first of all well i knew that you would be there because we worked that out beforehand but then we, <laughs> we were lucky too that bob kendrick was there and and the, the guys got to meet him because he's he's just a superstar these days he's everywhere these days Absolutely. um so in the conversations that that we've had previously you've you've said you've mentioned that you weren't even necessarily a baseball fan but that you had spoken on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, civil rights and, and just your own lived experience, essentially, as a Black person in America right now. So as you have been with the museum for the last couple of years, you had that background, but less of the baseball background. And so it's important, I think, to the part of the brand of the, the Negro Leagues Museum, and this is something that you convey in the work that you do, is that it tells a civil rights story. It's not just a baseball story. And you sort of alluded to this with, you know, talking about what was going on in America in this, the 20s up through the 60s, essentially. Can you talk about the story that you tell outside of baseball? And is that a surprise to people when they visit the museum? You know what is interesting because you know how it's like a car you drive, you see it, you know, it's yours. And then you start looking around and you're like, oh, there goes my car. Somebody else is driving it because you, you're, you're, you're kind of, it sticks out to you. It's something that you see every day. And so you're prone to see it everywhere else. And that's how I feel now working for the museum going into my second year. You know, you, you hear, you, I, I'm very fortunate to hear a lot of stories, but a, a lot of what Bob says every single day to a lot of our corporate partners, whether that's school groups, college groups, you know, it's crazy to me that when you take out the baseball aspect of it, it really is race. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It really is saying critical race theory is very, is very important. It's an important conversation. And the story of the Negro Leagues must move on, right? It must be shared. It must be told. And so it's very interesting because I'm starting to see a lot of the comparisons and the conversations that we're having as a country, as a society, wrapped up inside the story of the Negro Leagues. And not that I didn't understand that before, but I think it speaks to, and it hits home very deeply when you start to understand the greater capacity of the museum, right? When you stop and think about, wow, that is literally what we're, what we're focusing on doing. We are changing a narrative and we're helping the country understand literally a forgotten chapter 
and something that wasn't even teaching our formal a lot of people's formal education that missed out on like six decades of one part of of america history that was not known no one really even understand like so you it that's overwhelming to me and when you start to kind of take out the baseball you know uh in which he's a great storyteller as we all know but i think sports bridges that gap but also the museum how we've done such a great job at wrapping that story into one so when you come in and you turn you turn our turnstiles uh no pun intended you literally are just thinking hey i'm just here visiting someone told me to come here when i got in kansas city and here i am and then you end up leaving and you're like holy shit like <laughs> you know like yep i didn't realize <laughs> that there was nowhere for these athletes to eat between Kansas City and St. Louis and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So you, it, for me, Paul, it's such a overwhelming experience because you're right. I mean, a lot of the things, you know, there's, there's two parts of my job, you know, in terms of, yeah, the marketing piece, but also, you know, being fortunate some days I need to stretch my legs. I need to get downstairs and I'll just walk around. Uh, people don't know who I am. I'm blended in like everybody else. Right. Um, but you do start to kind of understand I think for me and, and being having this opportunity to be at the museum during a time where this is a such a critical year for us as an organization, the urgency that I feel right like people thirsting and yarning and wanting to learn more about the history of the Negro Leagues and simultaneously even more shocked the fact that they didn't know. And I think that to me is starting to stick out more than anything. Mm -hmm. um, so now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm immune to the museum, but now the fun stuff is happening. Now I'm starting to understand in my own, my own voice in my own context and other experiences versus my experiences and the story that we're preserving and really taking time to dissect that in. And I, and I think only time will tell, obviously in terms of me being able to really grasp the greater you know appreciation and my voice to articulate that story but I do think that it is something that is like I mean it's 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 just mind-blowing um and you're right I mean it's people come here every day and it's they they just can't believe that they never really knew anything about a particular part of history that has not been taught to many of us um, which is the story of the Negro Leagues yeah I mean it's you know, Major League Baseball pre-1947 was really half the story. You know, I mean, you you look at these names and a lot of them now, I think, have become kind of household names, but a lot of them are not. You know, I mean, there are people out there who will say that Oscar Charleston was the greatest baseball player ever. Mm -hmm. And I think there are people who have not heard of Oscar Charleston, right? Like, and it's, you know, baseball fans who don't know who Oscar Charleston is. And it's like, gosh, you know, and, you know, to compare the abilities of Josh Gibson with Babe Ruth, right? Like, I mean, it's, there are, I think for some people, it's sort of like, yeah, but, you know, Josh Gibson didn't play, you know, major mm -hmm. league baseball. And so I think I, you know, and I was, I was a person who had not been exposed to the history of the Negro leagues the way I should have as a baseball fan before my very first visit there, which was part of a, a Kansas city based road trip that I took with my very good friend, Chris, a three day baseball road trip that we took about five or six years ago. And I've been back three times and I've read a bunch of books and I've had the the luxury of getting to know you and interact you with you directly on, on Twitter. And, and so that's, that's actually an important part of this story that I really want to make sure that we get to. You started with the museum basically right as COVID-19 was hitting the world, right? And so, <laughs> and a lot of institutions, a lot of smaller institutions who depended on visitation, a lot of places just straight up folded, right? Like in the middle of COVID, places could not survive without visitors. And I know that the Negro Leagues Museum was a place that had to close its doors for a certain amount of time during COVID-19. And so here comes Kiana Sinks, to, to be the digital marketing strategist for the museum and get this story out there in other ways. And one of the ways that you did that was through social media. And I have watched the museum's social media presence grow since you got there. And that's not an accident, of course. So can you tell me sort of, you know, as the digital marketing strategist for the museum, what was the strategy as a young person and as a digital media person, what was the strategy that you had to get the museum out there 
in the world to, to get that to to keep that message alive at a time when the museum was closed and to keep interest in the story alive. Yeah, well, lot, lots of layers because the museum, when we closed our doors, right as I was coming on, we were very fortunate because we were in the thick of a viral campaign, Tip Your Cat. So the museum may, did make it a little easier for me <laughs> to come on and kind of see, all right, let's get some accounts going here so we can uh, take advantage of retweeting our viral campaign. Um, thanks to our president. And so, you know, it's, it's just really fascinating because I'm always, even like, now and even as we continue to move forward you always are so mindful of the story that we tell because there is you know the cool social scene things just normal that we have to reach a new generation but also the story and the nostalgia to it and just the historical nature of it that should never change you know and you want to be very careful in terms of how you market that and how and how even in, and moving forward and strategies and ways that we will discuss as the museum continues to grow and reach new heights. There's new, there's new pivots, there's new opportunities, there's new ideas, there's new strategies, there's new things that I maybe didn't know about that I have to learn. Um, and so I think that's really been the cool thing for me, Paul, is really coming on board and saying, okay, you know, this is a national brand, literally. Um, and, you know, it's not just me. Now I have a team of eight people at our agency who helps me pretty much direct our ship and I think for me it's been just really a cool opportunity to see to your point you know a lot of people voted um, during the pandemic but the museum during a time where we had you know social unrest you know baseball at the time symbolically I don't think was uh going <laughs> mm -hmm. which, which is similar to now <laughs> um yeah and so it was very, for us, the museum rose to that national spotlight, just as I think we all wanted it to, to be, to serve as a reminder of the great work that the museum not only continues to do, but the storytelling. And then Tate Diggs, of course, uh, he helped a lot as well. So I have to give him his uh, props. I always do that funnily, but uh, retweeting our content, telling people to follow the museum, then wasn't a, wasn't a bad uh, promotion as well. So <laughs> it helped my job a lot, but um, it, it's just been really cool. And so there's always just kind of, you know, what, what do we tell? What's going on with the museum? What are things we have to say? What are things we should say? Um, do we even have anything to say? If not, let's not say anything. You know, we, I, I try to make sure the museum in terms of what we put out is very meaningful. Um, and sometimes it's just a reminder. Sometimes it's a funny tweet. Sometimes it's nothing. Um, and so it's, it's really cool. And, and it's, and it's really, um, for me, I think refreshing to see if nothing else, if I don't take away anything else from the experience, the fact that the museum now is connecting integral parts to a future generation and having the formalities of a digital platform to be able to reach uh, all baseball fans, traditional, young, incoming, outgoing, is such a cool thing. Maybe you've heard of the museum, but we didn't have any way for you to connect digitally. Now you do. Or maybe you've never heard of the museum and you're like, what the heck is the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum? Now you see it. And so I think just to see, even like we just launched a new website. I mean, being a part of that, um, it's been a busy last couple of six months for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it's been rewarding because I think, you know, as I talked to um, Bob and, and, I, and I'd be remiss just thanking him for the opportunity, thanking him for trusting me, um, thanking him for allowing me to grow, which I am still doing every day. I think we all are growing. Uh, none of us are perfect. But I think that has been probably the most, the, the best part is just being able to be creative and being able to do my job. And I think you know, a lot of young people, um, we, we struggle with that, you know, in the time we're right now, it's, it's, a, it's a lot for us to, to manage, right? We're, we're the ones that are breaking these strides. Diversity is not just in color, it's in age. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ha having the opportunity to work for the museum speaks more than just me being here. You know, it's, it's obviously our institution getting younger, and being able to create other opportunities uh, in moving forward. And so hopefully there'll be more of me um, and he's uh, <laughs> that, will, that will be coming on board as the museum continues to grow. 
But I do think it speaks to our leadership here um, that has allowed me to come in and really learn um, and really grow. Um, and I think that's something that I'm, I'm very thankful of, for sure. You know, I want to be I, I want to be really clear about this because you're being humble and you're using the passive voice when you say the museum rose to prominence during COVID. And I want to be really specific that the rise to prominence that the museum had on social media corresponds directly with your arrival at the museum. And in my professional job, you know, I, I work a lot with people who are at museums, they're at nature sites, they're at places that are telling important stories. And they didn't have the success getting their message out there during COVID-19 when their doors were closed because they, they didn't have the capacity to tell their stories the way the Negro Leagues Museum did online. Mm -hmm. And that correlates directly to the work that you're doing. So, uh, you know, I, you, you are not claiming credit for that, but I, uh, I am, I really want folks to know that I, there's a direct correlation there and you've been really masterful in getting that story out there. So while you're being humble about not claiming credit, I want to make sure that, that folks give you that credit because you deserve it uh, because it, it's an incredibly important story but it's related to events that happened. I mean, literally, you all just celebrated the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Negro Leagues. This story is a century old. And mm -hmm. it would be very easy for it to be forgotten if it's not kept alive by people who care about it a lot. And so, so it's, it's important to me that, you know, I mean, you mentioned, of course, you had the tip your cap campaign. And you mentioned our president, it was Barack Obama put out a, he, he tweeted about, or he put it on Instagram, I forget which it was, but he did a, a tip your cap thing. And, and Tay Diggs is, you know, Tay Diggs was doing a thing where he was saying, hey, if you're one of the first this many followers of the Negro Leagues Museum, retweet this. And, but if people are retweeting, you know, the Negro Leagues Museum, and they're saying, go pay attention to the Negro Leagues Museum, if you're not doing a good job telling that story, you don't have the momentum that you all have sure. part of telling the story that that you all have had is the partnerships that you've worked with i'm wearing i'm mentioning now i one of the things you guys did was this buck o'neill uh, 5k the 2.2 mile walk or the 5k run and so i've done that a couple of years in a row and that was just something that people you know got to tweet about and say hey i'm doing this thing for buck o'neill you also had the boulevard beer had the tip your cap right the tip your cap ale which, yeah. which never made it to Fort Collins. I really wanted to get some just so I'd have one of those cans that never made it to Fort Collins. But what are some of the other partnerships that you all have had that have kept the Negro Leagues Museum in the public eye and, and ones that you've been, uh, you know, proud of? I know you've had so many. I mean, we, I, we could just oh do like gosh. a bullet pointed list, right? But I know. are there any that stand out in, in your mind in, in, in the last year or so? Yeah, I would say my first one, which was wrapping our Kansas City streetcar in Bucks 1942 jersey. I mean, that was that was my first project ever for the museum. Uh, so that was incredible. Um, I'm not going to lie. That was probably that's on Mount Rushmore. I mean, you don't get an opportunity to uh, do something like that. to that yeah. magnitude and the design, I mean, every phase of everything that I do has been marketing for the museum. It has been finding ways to whether that's local activations or the opportunities that we get as an institution, you know, we can get those opportunities all day, as you alluded to, but how do we continue to re give that to our supporters, spread those messages outwardly? Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think, Boulevard, tip your cat beer. Who in the heck would have thought our museum would have its own beer? Have no idea. Uh -huh. That was, that was it named after our viral campaign. So kudos to Boulevard that raised $10,000 for the museum. Um, and so it was a it was a great partnership. Stay tuned. We have more brewing on the way. Um, oh, good. So I hope uh, hopefully they'll make it to Colorado this time. I really I, want one. I hope so too. Or I'm, I might have to be. Bob jokingly said we might have to start a fulfillment and shipment <laughs> facility <laughs> for beer. <laughs> um, so the museum supporters can so we can reach all facets to get everybody's money. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Lids has been probably the second. I would say for me, I mean, being able to kind of see on the licensing side, how do we go from like, right, nurturing those relationships, some of these relationships we've had, right, but this new era of how does marketing now apply, right? You think mm -hmm. 10 years ago, it, you just you just brokered a deal, the attorney said, hey, we're good, 
and you just shook hands, you signed paperwork and you exchanged stuff. Now yeah. we're starting to see internal business is external business, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do we also share that in a way as the museum to make sure that it is number one, obviously true, true to the story that we preserve. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, it's supporting our efforts as an institution to continue to tell the story and then thirdly, obviously, financially, it just supports our work so we can continue to do what we do every single day. So LIDS in this entire, it just rolled out yesterday officially, but being able to sit in on all of the meetings in terms of why we're doing this, how do we get from this website, how do we choose this design, the museum choosing these assets, the clothes, the hats, the jerseys, the shirts, like it's it was like, okay uh on top of a free world's admission month uh so it was it's just been it's just been from different perspectives or or you know I'll, I'll even speak to my first personal campaign which I really appreciate being able to have the opportunity to work with MLBPA and then and then MLB as well the museum led the uh, Negro Leagues 101 campaign and getting all of these baseball notables around the country, mm-hmm. uh, reporters, I mean, Jenny Finch, I mean, LaTroy Hawkins, CeCe Sabathia, I mean, just like groundbreaking people who we like literally flip on the TV and it's like, oh, there's Bob Costas, what's he doing today? <laughs> um, just talk about, you know, baseball, the Negro Leagues. And so yeah. getting, getting that campaign and that messaging out there was really cool um, and having the opportunity to work with Major League Baseball and Player Association probably is high on my list as well. And then secondly, I will say we just aired, as I, I shared with you last week, the conversation, which which is so funny to me because it was one of my first events, but we did a repeat of this and we added a new addition, which was CC Savathiv in this conversation with Kim Burns, Bob Costas, Joe Posnaski, and then our president, Bob Kendrick, them remembering and sharing stories about the history of the Negro Leagues. So yeah. working on the back end with our partners, Dicks, how do we set this up, going through all the dates? I tell you, it is so hard to get those five guys together to do one hour <laughs> conversation. <laughs> like, holy moly. Yeah. Um, so just all those different things in terms of marketing promotions. I mean, I tried to pick five in terms of you got transportation, clothes, sitting at your computer if you just want to listen to probably five of the best storytellers in the country talk about negro leagues i mean i'm gonna get you when you wear a hat a beer collaboration (laughs) food i mean i feel like the museum touches every emphasis in terms of daily life and so i think we're starting to meet people where they are not only just in this sports you know one box but getting outside of that and that's what has afforded the museum tremendous success and tremendous opportunities. And I think we're starting to set the tone for what other museums should start to do. I mean, we're seeing that locally because times are changing and things are changing and you have to create and you have to think about new innovative ways to reach people um, in all different phases of community. Well, and that's obviously something that that you're expert at and have brought to the team and so, or to, to the team, to the museum. And, you know, that's been obviously great for the museum. I wanted to um, just for, for folks in, in case they hadn't seen it, this lids partnership that you're talking about, the, the hat company lids is creating historically accurate, re, you know, replications of Negro leagues, hats and jerseys. Mm-hmm. And as part of that process, I can't tell you, like, honestly, I can't tell you how jealous I was of the photos that you were posting on Twitter of three of my all-time favorite people in this industry. You, Todd Radom, the graphic designer, who was the, the guest on the second episode of this podcast, and obviously Bob Kendrick, your president, who has also been part of this incredible growth of, of the museum and the, the message that you all are spreading the three of you in a room together talking about this lids project was like, I, for real, when Todd told me he was going to the museum to talk to you guys, I, for real, like just for a minute, like looked at flights to just see if like, could I come sit in the back of the room while you guys are having this conversation? Because that would have been, you know, that would have been just an incredible place to be a a fly on the wall. 
but the the lids is one of the most recent things that you all have been doing. And you mentioned the like Negro Leagues 101. And then there was the 100th anniversary that just sort of went up in smoke because of COVID. Yeah. You know, so the, the lids is just the most recent thing. But that is very cool because I think there's been a renewed interest in the actual like brands of these teams. And, and the lids partnership is great in that regard. Yeah, no, it's really great. I mean, even just with, you mentioned Todd and it was incredible to meet him. I mean, it's weird because I didn't realize he was following me. He's a legendary artist within his own right. I mean, mm-hmm. he he's really, in my eyes, capsulated, capulated the essence of what Black contributions have really meant for our country in terms of sports. I mean, you look at some of the logos, probably half of us grew up as kids, you know, seeing on TV or like just not to make him sound old or anything. He's probably going to call me out for this, but um, you know, just, Hey, like didn't realize like we were walking around the museum and one of the logos he created for MLB was just plastered in it. Like I didn't, I've seen this logo 50 times, had no idea Todd was the master brain behind that logo. Yeah. So I think it just speaks to just his ability to really bring brands to life in a way. Um, but that shoot with lids, I mean, it wasn't just the merchandise and just throwing up a tweet on Twitter. I mean, we've had gazillion of brand sessions, gazillions of stories, you know, marketing shoots, storytelling sessions, camera lighting. I mean, retake, say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I, so you would have seen me working if you would have had found the flight um, to get the kids to city that day. And then we obviously ended the day with eating barbecue with uh, our Liz family and Todd. So it was a day that I'll never forget. Um, and so those opportunities, you know, I feel like for me are just so, are so meaningful because it doesn't disrupt what the museum does. You start to see when you have partnerships to the caliber of a Lids that allows the museum to properly continue the work that we do, but also enhance our story in ways in reaching audiences that maybe we can't just through a hat, mm-hmm. just to hear our president share about Buck O'Neill. I mean, that that's what you want. That's what make great partnerships. That's what makes great marketing content. It just, it just so it's a win-win for, for everybody. And so Liz is just one. I mean, in the museum, last but certainly not least, Um, was just added to the United States Civil Rights Trail. And so that was just like, I mean, we haven't even gotten till May yet. And I'm like, five, we got to slow down. (laughs) (laughs) It's just been, I mean, then we unveiled the United States Mint coin. It's like January to February of this year alone. I'm like, we're going to look back and do our recap email later in December. And I'm going to be like, how did we make it? How did I make it? Because that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking when I did our recap email in December. So, or this past December, rather. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I reached out to you about the podcast and you were like, yes, but, I mean, this was months ago, right? You're, and you're like, yes, I definitely want to do it, but uh, March? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think I'm learning too, like, you know, there'll be moments where, and I'm seeing it now, like, I mean, we could be like one minute, nothing happening to the next minute, all four camera, local cameras here at the museum for something. Like, sure. And that's great, you know, but it, it's teaching me like, you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta be ready for anything at any, at any given moment. I mean, I've had days where I've had all these meetings and it's like, nope, cancel, everything's canceled, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, which is great, but I'm just learning about pivoting and really trying to, you know, meet the demands of, of the museum, but in ways that, you know, Hey, we're the, we're the first point of contact, you know, we're the, we have to be you know, available. Um, so when we do put out, you know, our press release for lids, I, I would, I, I would think people would want to know about that. So those are the types of things that I, that we deal with internally that I deal with. Um, and it's, it's, it's really cool to see that the museum is now enhancing the three decades that we've been stewarding the story and starting to spread our wings in a lot of different spaces. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the story of the museum itself is mm-hmm. is also amazing, right? And that's part of what you guys are telling right now, that that it's not just the story of the Negro Leagues. Now the museum itself has become part of the story of the Negro Leagues. And yep. and that's been, that, I mean, that's been such a fantastic thing to, to follow. 
I want to be respectful of your time. I know that you have another, you're very busy and you've got another thing you need to get to. Uh, one of, speaking of the story of the, of the museum itself, I just want to mention very briefly that Bob Kendrick, who we've referenced a couple of times, did a podcast called Black Diamonds and, mm -hmm. and is still occasionally releasing uh, sort of special episodes. But that was over the, the course of 2021, an amazing sort of oral history of the Negro Leagues with some amazing interviews with, with players and historical figures and children of Negro League players and that sort of thing. So I would definitely recommend people go check out Black Diamonds, the podcast that you did in partnership with Sirius XM Radio, another one of your many partnerships. I, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, though, because part of the story of the museum itself is an... And I, I will say the one thing that we haven't talked about, because I want to talk about it in a future episode, is the actual Kansas City Monarchs, who were probably the, the premier team of the Negro Leagues uh, historically, and are now an independent professional team, yep. uh, the Kansas City T-Bones rebranded as the Kansas City Monarchs. And mm -hmm. so I want to do another episode of this podcast about the Monarchs, but that's down the road. That's for another, yep. that's another conversation. But Part of the story of the museum itself is the story of Buck O'Neill. And he, in his, in his later years, worked tirelessly to help found the museum. Mm -hmm. That story is, is detailed amazingly well in, in uh, Joe Posnanski's book, uh, The Soul of Baseball, which, which I've read. And it's just a really you know touching book. It's really amazing. And Bob Kendrick features prominently in that because it's, it's an elderly Buck O'Neill and then uh, Bob Kendrick traveling around the country to sort of promote this idea of the museum. Really heartbreaking at the end of the book where the Veterans Committee very mistakenly does not elect Buck O'Neill to the Hall of Fame by one vote. He missed by one vote. And then he passed away pretty shortly after that. And then they rectified that mistake just recently. And you mentioned December 5, right? That was December 5 that, that the announcement was made that Buck O'Neill was elected to the Hall of Fame posthumously. Can you tell me what that experience was like at the museum when the when when Buck O'Neill, who so deserved to be in the Hall of Fame already, was finally elected? The guy who was responsible for the creation of this museum where you work finally got his due recognition and was elected to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, I even get a little teary eyed thinking about it because I didn't realize for me personally how emotional I was going to be the day of. I mean, obviously, part of the job was to plan as if it was going to happen and then prepare as if it was not going to happen. So it was a lot of moving parts for me personally that whole entire month. But I think, you know, it's just as important as we remember December 5th that we remember you know, the first time when he missed by one vote. And I think now looking at it on the other side, you know, and living vicariously through Bob and understanding what that day must have meant to someone who's dedicated half of his life to ensure his friend's legacy now is finally, finally cemented. It's, it's finally complete. And, you know, what, what a, what a moment for the museum, what a moment for Kansas City, and I think Ken Burns, I'm never going to try to repeat him, um, but he said it best in our conversation last week that, man, how lucky is the Hall of Fame? Now the Hall of Fame is better. And I think that really is how I feel. You know, Buck O'Neill was always a Hall of Famer to everyone across the country who knew him. Um, and I think, you know, now for me personally as a young person and even what it's done in Kansas City locally in turning heads for young emerging leaders my age to understand his impact outside of baseball mm -hmm. and what that meant for Kansas City. And so it just, it, it, I was emotional. I was, I was sobbing. I did not sleep for two days after the announcement because you start going into, you know, you're coming off this high and you just can't just go to sleep at night, you know, obviously, but it was, it was pretty uh, emotional, and, but it was exciting. I think we're just now starting to kind of take in the fact that, okay, this is actually going to happen. Uh, so we have booked hotels, we have booked rooms and all that stuff. But obviously the, the most important part, Paul, that I want people to take from this segment of the podcast is when Buck would have potentially got, gotten in the Hall of Fame in 06 when he missed by one vote, we know, which is not lost upon us, that he would have used that platform to advocate for his museum. He would have moved his museum into financial 
sustainability. And so now what we have the opportunity to do now, 15 years later, is to ensure that Buck O'Neill's Museum is set up for financial success long-term, which means that now larger conversations come into play about an endowment. Larger conversations are moving forward in terms of making sure that this museum, you know, we've weathered the economic landscape, as we all say here, but the formalities of how we started was on a hope and a prayer, <laughs> you know? And so now it's time to really formalize and complete this, this foundational um, critical uh, financial part of the museum to ensure that it has its permanence for years to come. And so that is what we will make sure, obviously in the midst of celebrating this wonderful achievement that our late chairman and, and co-founder of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum has taken his rightful place into the Hall of Fame, but also we also have to make sure we, we make this such a opportunity financially for the museum to move into that particular place. But I think for Bob, uh, I, I know he's, he's smiling. I don't think he's stopped smiling since December 5th, <laughs> um, but it's been really cool to see our staff. I mean, you're talking about people who've seen this man who mm -hmm. once came into our offices here at the museum, you know, dedicate his life when we didn't have 10,000 square feet of space for people to walk through. We had mm -hmm. a one room, tiny, tiny one room office and Buck O'Neill and former Negro leaders literally took turns paying the monthly rent just to keep the tiny one room office known as the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum open. Yeah. So it, it speaks to, it speaks to just what a, what a human being, what a kind person, what a, he's greater than life itself. And I think every day now, it's, I understand what that feeling means when Bob says you've been bitten by the buck bug. <laughs> I'm starting <laughs> to understand exactly what that means. I got, I've never met this man, but every day I feel like I'm learning, I've learned something from his life. And I think for me, working to be more buck-like, forgiving, patience, uh, loving, showing kindness. I mean, you think about that and it, and it just, it makes you want to be a better person. Um, and then you come here to the museum with his essence and presence that's spilling all over the place. I mean, it's, it's hard to not think about Buck O'Neill and his contributions. And, and as Bob has said many times, as long as he has any say in the matter here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, we will continue to honor and commemorate his life and legacy um, as much as we possibly can, because he's such a big part of our story here. Um, and that's not lost on us. So we're, we're excited for future plans this year in Kansas City. Uh, Cooperstown, you best believe there's a lot of planning uh, in the works that obviously we are thrilled. I think we're all excited about it, but we're like, man, can November come? <laughs> July come? Uh, because it is, it is a lot of preparation sure. um, for our staff, but we, we're working very intentionally on making sure that the museum not only celebrates this literally once in a lifetime opportunity, but we commemorate in a way that financially Bucks Museum uh, will, will stand the test of time. Well, so before I let you go, and that's, I mean, just so beautifully stated, right? Like, I mean, it's the, the museum carrying on the legacy of this incredible person who reading his, his biography and, and Joe Posnanski's book on, on him, uh, on the founding of the museum, how can, how can listeners of this podcast, how can baseball fans, how can fans of, of, of history and people who understand the importance of the story that you're telling, how can, how can we help support the museum financially or otherwise? Yeah. I'll just tell people, number one, if you're not a member of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, do that. Um, uh, www.nlbm.com. You can always make a donation. I'm pledging a new resolution and moving forward. As long as I work here, anyone who asks me to come on their podcast, I don't care the amount you have to make a donation to the museum. So Paul, you have to make a donation to the museum. Um, that is my that is my new pledge. So I'm two for two right now. I did a podcast <laughs> last week. So you see what I'm doing here. Um, I'm setting a new trend. And so I will, yeah. I will happily add a, a, a Negro <laughs> Leagues Museum membership. I can't believe that I wasn't already a member. Uh, I've got I've got books and T-shirts and you know the 5K thing and and you know a couple of visits under my belt three visits under my belt, but I will become a member. I will become a member of the museum today. Awesome. That's, that's what I want. I want people to just support the museum. Um, if you're not a member, become a member. 
Um, you always can donate, of course, but becoming a member of our museum, it, you're a part of our family. You know, mm -hmm. you are, you're, you're investing in the work that we're doing, which allows you to be a part of this greater story. So thank you so much, Paul, for, for having me. This has been a treat for seriously, um, because I don't get to sit down and talk often about just the museum and the work that I do. I, and I'll tell you, Bob, it's like, hey, have you listened to the latest episode of Black Diamonds? I said, I have not because that's what I am working for. I am working for you. <laughs> uh, so that that tells you if I don't have time sometimes to listen to the president's uh, podcast, yeah. and he did exactly what you did. He laughed. And so I thought that was hilarious. But thank you so much for your continued support of the museum. And hopefully we can get you back to Kansas City later this year in the summer because we definitely are bringing back the entire full calendar for the museum. Uh, fingers crossed if health conditions permit us to do so. But um, just thank you so much for having me on. Oh man, it's, I mean, it's, it's such a pleasure. And I'm, I'm honored that you took the time to talk to me because I know how busy you are. Uh, where, I'll just ask, uh, just to make sure people know, where can people follow you, Kiana, and the museum on social media? Yeah, you can follow the museum at NLB Museum. KC on Twitter, everywhere. So go check us out, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. Um, if you have not signed up for our emails, you can do that on our website at nlbm.com. And then last but not least, me just at Kiana Sinks. And it's absolutely worth following Kiana if you're not already. I can't <laughs> I imagine. Know. I, I don't can't... know if that's good or bad. Don't follow me. Follow me, Kim. <laughs> I, I think follow both. No, it's worth your while. I have been following both you and the museum and, of course, Bob Kendrick. Uh, so Kiana, thank you so much. I kept you later than I meant to, but that happens every time we talk. I think every time we I talk, I, I'm very lucky to, to keep you longer than I mean to. Sure. So uh, I can't wait till we talk again. I can't wait to get back to the museum. And maybe next time when, when I'm at the museum, you can show me where you like to go for barbecue because uh, every time I'm there, I go to Arthur Bryant's, but I know that you have some other spots that you like. So yeah, we'll go to Gate. <laughs> Gates. All right, Gates it is. Kiana, thank you so much. It's an incredible work you're doing. It's an incredible story you're telling. And one of the, the very most important American institutions that exists is the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City. And every baseball fan and every American should get there. Thank you, Kiana. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Paul. Okay.